Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. All right, good morning, good morning. Fusion Church, 6 a.m. soap, can y'all hear me okay? Right. Good morning. I'm so glad to be with you guys today. Um, this morning we are in Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11. Um, today's March 1st. So beginning today we're, we're starting a 40 day uh, journey to Easter. Um, so all of our soaping up until we get to Easter is all going to be dealing with um Jesus coming into Jerusalem the week prior to him um, being crucified and ultimately being crucified and and resurrected. So um, it's going to be a good a good plan. Gives us a little bit of a break from some of the Old Testament we've been in. Um, but uh, we're really excited for this. Listen, guys, we have a lot of stuff coming up within the next 40 days, okay? So we have everything from the egg drop to friends and family to Easter services. So come on, guys, press in. God is doing a move in Fusion Church. He's doing a move in each and every one of our lives, whether we see it or not. God is always moving. God is always doing something. So let's just continue to press in. Um, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to jump right into it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this morning, Lord God. We thank you for this time that we get to spend in your word. I pray that you would be with us, Father, Lord. Holy Spirit, be with everyone listening to this, this Zoom call right now, Father. Everyone listening on the road, in their homes, in their offices, wherever they may be, Lord God, whether they're listening now or they're listening later on this today on the, on the podcast or on the blog, Father, Lord, just be with us. Speak to us, Lord. Reveal things to us. Open up our hearts, open up our minds to receive a word from you. We thank you for what you were doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right, let's give it a stretch and then just jump into it. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, and I am reading from the New King James Version. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Beth, Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? 
So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Amen. Amen. All right. Short passage, only 11 verses. There's so much that we can unpack even in, in these, these, these short amount of verses. Um, Jesus knew at this point that the religious leaders were going to arrest them, arrest him, excuse me. They knew they were going to, they were going to condemn him. They were going to, to beat him. They were going to scourge him. Um, and then, and he also knew that they were going to deliver him to the Romans for crucifixion. If we go just back to Matthew 20, verse 19, you know, he was saying, deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. Jesus was well aware of what was going to be happening to him just a few short days after this um, this portion of scripture. Um, most of our, our Bibles, uh, the title above this says the triumph, the triumphal entry or the triumphant entry. And there's all different, you know, variations of that. Yet, even though Jesus knew what was going to happen, he knew, you know, the future, they, he knew everything that he was going to endure. He had the courage to not only enter into Jerusalem, but to do it in as public a way as possible. And, the, and, and and it very much contrasts his previous pattern of um, um, uh, suppressing publicity. You know, we read all throughout the scriptures of he would, you know, he would do miracles and and uh, and he would say, "Now don't tell anybody." He would heal somebody, now keep it quiet. You know, he would he would do all these things, and he he didn't want all kinds of you know people going crazy over him. You know, but now Jesus is like, "Okay, I'm here." Like. I'm here. I'm here to make a statement, you know, and, and, and Jesus, he, he, he couldn't have even chosen a more dramatic moment. He, he entered into a city surging with people. They were filled with, with religious expectations for, for, for the coming Messiah. And, and Jesus, he, again, he, he had never made boastful announcements of, of his movements you know, he didn't, you know, there was, he, he didn't have uh, his disciples go before him and, and make proclamations that, you know, Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, you know, our Savior is coming. He didn't do all that. Okay. He didn't get onto his social media account and be like, hey, post, hey, I'm, I'm going to be at this spot. Everyone be, come, come out, come out here and see me. No, he, he was very secretive. He just, he just moved. Right. But the crowds always found him. Right, the crowds always found him. That just shows that God is always moving, and, and and when you need to be somewhere, God will make a way for you to be there. And that's what these crowds were doing. But now we're seeing going into Jerusalem, any secrecy, any 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 attempt to be quiet, um, was gone, and and the 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 applause of the crowds and the the shouting of the crowds it wasn't manipulated. Okay, it wasn't like, you know, Jesus didn't have his hype men in the crowd saying, come on, let's, let's shout. Come on. Hey, you know, here's your palm branches. Come on, let's do this. No, this was just the people's genuine just excitement about the Messiah entering in Jerusalem. And him riding on a colt right into Jerusalem was was a, a, a deliberate act of self-disclosure. 
See, people who knew prophecy. And one of the things we need to we need to understand is that in this time, you know, people knew the Bible. Okay. People knew the Bible. Jewish children, Jewish boys specifically, they were educated on the Torah. They they knew scripture, right? And the way it would work is up to a certain age, they would study in the hopes that a rabbi would take them on as a student so that in turn, you know, they could, you know, get even more education, right? So when they would see these things, right, they, people, people were well aware of what the prophet Daniel said, Zechariah said, you know, all the, you know, all these prophets, Isaiah said, they, they knew the prophecies, Okay, so they would see certain things, and that's why you know people were were were, were so um, excited about Jesus because they were seeing things that had been foretold in prophecy hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior. Okay, so Jesus coming into Jerusalem riding on a colt was a fulfillment of of prophecy. Verse two said he told his disciples to go and find a donkey. He says, "Go find a donkey tied in a colt with her." And, and and Jesus would, would ride on the younger of the of the two animals, the colt. Jesus told the disciples how they would find the animals and instructed him to bring the animals um, to him. The, the Hebrew text in, in Zechariah 9 mentions one animal, not two. Um, but we, we, we can assume that Matthew understood the different the Hebrew meanings and the, and and, the, and what the full uh, verse meant, how it affirmed that Jesus was going to ride on a colt. He was going to write on the cult, not its mother. Mark and Luke in their gospels say the animal was so young that it had never been ridden before. So imagine this, this animal who had never been ridden before, right? Jesus is riding in the middle of this excited crowd on an unbroken animal. And this unbroken animal remains calm under the hands of the Messiah who could control all of nature. Think about that. An unbroken animal. If you've seen any kind of, you know, shows, Western shows, or, you know, you know, documentaries or whatever, when they have an unbroken animal and someone tries to ride it, that animal's gonna, gonna try to knock its rider off, right? But this unridden animal has the creator sitting on top of it. And he's perfectly calm under the hands of the Messiah. Come on, that is a that's a miracle right there. That just shows the power and authority that Jesus carried with him. Zechariah 9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And what's also significant about this is that Jesus had already traveled on foot from, from Galilee to Bethany. From Bethany to Jerusalem is about another two miles. He could have walked the final two miles, but he had to come and he came to fulfill prophecy, to fulfill the prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. And he did so by entering to Jerusalem, riding on a colt. And it says, you know, uh, it, the the Lord has need, right? When the, the, the disciples went to go get the animal, if they were questioned, tell them the Lord has need. Jesus, 
Jesus, without laying aside his sovereignty, had taken on humanity. And humanity, we're, we're, we have a nature full of needs. Amen. We have so many needs. Yet Jesus also, you know, being in need, he was still the Lord and could still command his subjects and request his, their, their property. And the Bible doesn't say that the owner of the cult, the owner of the donkey, fought the disciples, questioned the disciples, straight out said no to the disciples. As soon as they said the Lord had has need, gave it up. There are times when, when there are the individuals within the church, even, even outside the church, when the Lord impresses upon them and they're willing just to give of, of what they have, give of their supply, give of their wealth, right? That is the Lord that we, we serve. Because I would imagine that the owner of the donkey, you know, he probably needed that donkey, right? It, it, it was a beast of burden. It, you know, it, it helped him do his work or whatever the case may be. However, when the Lord impressed upon him, the Holy Spirit impressed upon this individual, he freely gave. He freely gave and no doubt received a blessing at the other end of it. Verse four says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Here, here Jesus deliberately works to fulfill prophecy, especially the prophecy um, of Daniel's 70 weeks. Daniel 9 verses uh, 24 through 27, I'm not going to read that. Daniel 9, 24 through 27 talks about the 70 weeks and many feel that Jesus fulfilled to the exact day of the triumphal entry, the 70 weeks. Jesus came to Jerusalem in humility, yet he had appropriate dignity. Instead of coming on a horse as a conquering general, he came on a colt, which was the custom, which was customary for royalty. Jesus came to Jerusalem as the Prince of Peace. See, donkeys were, they were, they were um, prior to Solomon's time, donkeys were beasts that the great, that great people would ride on. The kings would ride on, the, the, the rich people would ride on. But after Solomon's time, you know, Jews, they, 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 they end up, uh, because of Solomon, end up getting a certain breed of horse that became uh, more identifiable with, with royalty. And then at that point, only poor people would ride donkeys. And at that point, donkeys became mostly beasts of burden. So, so, so for those who had eyes to see, Jesus was not only proclaiming his messiahship and his fulfillment of scripture, but he was also showing that he came in peace and love as he was entering the city. This, this portion of scripture, as I, as I said earlier, is referred to as the triumphal entry. The triumphant, Jesus was triumphant of humility. He, he triumphed over pride and worldly greatness, triumph of poverty over riches, triumph of gentleness and meekness over rage and hatred. Jesus came triumphantly, yet with humility into Jerusalem. It says his disciples, they laid their clothes on the donkey and, 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 and people spread their clothes on the road and others 
cut down uh, branches of the trees and then they spread them on the road. All this was done. All of this was done to honor Jesus as a great and triumphant person coming into Jerusalem in the season of Passover. Second Kings 9.13 um, says, Then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps, and they blew trumpets, saying, Jehu is king. This was the people proclaiming Jesus, not only as their Messiah, but as their king. Not just Messiah, but king. The act of, of spreading out garments was, was one of recognition. It was one of, of loyalty and, and promise that we support you as our leader. We support you as our ruler. The Israelites were honoring Jesus as their king and Messiah by, again, spreading their clothes on the ground and waving palm branches um, in the air, carrying palm Palm branches and other any type of branch was was very um, uh, symbolic of victory and, and and success. In the the second century BC, there was a, a priestly family of Jews. Um, they organized a, a sex a successful rebellion against the king of Syria. In 166 BC, um, Judas Maccabeus reca recaptured Jerusalem and reconsecrated the temple. And this event. It's what the Jews celebrate during Hanukkah. And as the Jews re-entered Jerusalem during this time, they shouted and they waved palm branches. They played music on their, on their harps and their cymbals. And they sang hymns because the great enemy of Israel had been destroyed. The Apostle John writes about something similar in, in the book of Revelations. In Revelation 7, verse 9, he says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, and peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is a time of celebration. This is a time of honoring our Messiah. Now, in one way, this, this crowd was, was glorious, right? It is, it is a mark of of God's presence when the church is enthusiastic, right? This group was very excited about the Messiah. So how, how excited, let me ask you a question. How excited are we when we enter into the presence of Jesus? How excited are we when we get to have, uh, when we get to be in the church? Because sometimes I'm gonna I'm listen. Listen, I'm going to be real with y'all. Sometimes I'm in the, when, when I'm at the church and I see people entering the church and they have the most downcast, sullen, sad faces as they're coming into the church. And I get it. A lot of us, we're, we're going through some stuff, right? And it's hard sometimes to walk into the church with a smile because life has just beaten you down, right? But for the rest of us, walking into the church and getting into the presence of, of Jesus should be a time for celebration, for excitement. And there are some of you, I see y'all excited, dancing, ready to go, right? But that should be constantly, brothers and sisters. And you know what? You don't even need to be at the church. You can be right where you're at, entering into the presence of Jesus. And you should be excited. You should be excited. But in another way, this crowd could be looked at kind of like ridiculous, right? 
Charles Spurgeon, he wrote, why? If Pilate himself had heard about it, he would have said, ah, there is nothing much to fear from, from that. There is no fear that that man will ever um, upset Caesar. There is no fear that he will ever overturn an army. Where are their swords? There is not a sword among them. They have no cries that sound like rebellion. Their songs are, are only some religious verses taken out of the Psalms. So to the outside observer, this triumphant entry was ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The Romans, they were like, who is this dude? You know, who is this guy? He's walking, he's, he's riding on a donkey. Cool. Whatever. Um, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? The religious leaders, they're afraid of this guy, you know, with a rebellion. There's, I don't see no weapons. I don't see no sword. There's no army. You know, they're not shouting about victory. They're, they're just, they're just excited because this dude's coming in, you know? So you see the, 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 the contrast of how people saw this event to the observant Jew who understood and saw that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the coming savior. It was a time to party. Even though they didn't fully understand what he was going to do while he was on this earth, but they still recognized him as the Messiah. And you take that and you contact, contrast that with the Roman point of view. Like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? My man's on a, on a donkey. You know what I'm saying? That, you know, homies just, just riding on a donkey. They're waving palm branches, whatever. What's the big deal? People didn't fully understand what all of this meant. That's why, brothers and sisters, it's so important, so important that we are spending time in the word because we're going to see things happen around us. But if we don't have um, a, 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 an understanding of what God's word says, if we are not getting revelation from the Holy Spirit, we will be blinded to the true meaning of what is happening around us. And we cannot be naive to the facts that the Lord is moving today. The same God that created the heavens and the earth, the same God that rode on a donkey over 2,000 years ago, entering into the city of Jerusalem, is the same God today that is still performing miracles. Verse 9 says, Hosanna to the son of David. This was, this was um, uh, open messianic adoration of Jesus. They looked to Jesus um, for salvation. Hosanna means save now. And it was addressed to kings. Right. This wasn't a word that just came because of Jesus. OK, that this word had been used for, for generations. Second Samuel 14, four. Says, and when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, help, O king. She said, Hosanna. Second Kings 626 says, then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, help, my lord, O king. She cried out, Hosanna. Okay, so this was, again, this was an open declaration of Jesus as king. They didn't say Hosanna, you know, to, to the butcher or to the fisherman. 
you know, or to the, the goldsmith, they were saying Hosanna to Jesus. And Jesus received this adoration. He received this worship. This is because according to Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I imagine, you know, in, in, in our finite minds, we can, we can um, imagine that from the beginning of creation, that God was orchestrating things for this day. God had been, been making history move, right? You know, the old saying that, you know, we were, we're playing checkers while God is playing chess. God is thinking a thousand moves ahead. It's like God knew what was going to happen, what needed to happen. And he was orchestrating this day. Just as he has orchestrated every day before and every day since. Because this is the day. Today, March 1st, 2023, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Doesn't matter what you're going through. Doesn't matter how hard life is, right? But because no matter what is happening around you, this is the day that the Lord has made. You woke up this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. You have feeling in your hands and your feet. You can walk around. You can you can have your 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 first. This is actually my third cup of bustelo in the morning because this is the day that the Lord has made, brothers and sisters. So no matter what is happening, no matter your, your trial, your circumstances, this is the day that the Lord has made. And we're going to read here in, in, in a couple of weeks about Jesus being crucified. Even that was the day that the Lord had made. Amen. Because he made it for us. He made it for our, our benefit. He made it so that we could be saved and we could one day be in paradise with our creator. So brothers and sisters, every day we need to be celebrating that this is the day. This was the day when the Messiah came as savior to Jerusalem in fulfillment of all the prophecies that had come before him. Hosanna, again, was a, was, was a Hebrew expression that originally was a cry for help. And in time, it became an invocation of blessing and, and even an acclamation that the people praise God for sending the Messiah. And if Hosanna still retained some of its original meaning, it was also a cry to him for deliverance. The voice of, of the people shout Hosanna in the highest. But then a few short days later, these same voices were going to say, crucify him, crucify him. Verse 10 says, when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. All the city was moved. Jesus showed that he wasn't afraid of the chief priests. He wasn't afraid of, of the Pharisees. He knew they were plotting to kill them. Listen, my man, Jesus, he, he ain't dumb. He knew exactly what was going on. Okay, he was well aware what was going to be happening to him. He knew their thoughts. He knew that there was a plot to kill him and he knew how he was going to be killed. Yet he openly came into the city as Messiah. When the wise men came um, to Jerusalem looking for the king of the Jews in Matthew 2 verse 3, 
the whole, it says it says the whole city was troubled, right? But now, when this same king of the Jews is entering to Jerusalem, the whole city is filled with excitement. Again, isn't it strange how these same people who are shouting Hosanna to the king just a short five days later are going to say crucify him, crucify him. How faithless was this multitude? See, even when, 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 when they get it right, there's little hope that they will continue to have it right. Because as human beings, we're so easily swayed by our emotions. That's why it's, it's so important, so important to not let your emotions dictate your actions. To not allow what's going on around you to, to, to sway you one way or another. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. Before Jesus entered the city, Luke 19.21 tells us that he wept over the city because he knew that Jerusalem was going to come um, to destruction. Judgment was going to come to Jerusalem. And history tells us that in 70 AD, the Romans came in and they, they sacked Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. And so Jesus knew what was going to happen and he wept over it. He wept over his beloved city. And finally, verse 11, it says, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. This continues, again, the earlier identification of, of Jesus with Nazareth, Jesus as the Messiah. Matthew 2.23 says, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. As I, as I close this portion of scripture, brothers and sisters, Jesus came and he fulfilled all the prophecies of the Messiah. All the prophecies, even this simple prophecy from Zechariah saying that he was going to ride a, a cult. A cult, which was which is not is not an adult donkey. Something so simple, some, such a minuscule detail. But we serve a God of details. And all the little things matter to God. All the little things, all the little details, all the little things you're going through, all of your thoughts, all of your feelings, all of your emotions, they matter to God. So brothers and sisters, as, as we begin this, this, it's really a 40-day plan leading up to Easter. God has spoken into our lives. God has spoken into your lives. And he is faithful. He spoke about his son coming to the earth. And for thousands of years, the prophets had, had, had received word from the Lord and they had recorded, they had written. And Jesus came and it was almost like, like he had a, a, a he, he would, he would do something. And then one of his, uh, a historian would be like, oh, there's, there's, there's one, there's one prophecy checking them off. And before we knew it, all the prophecies were fulfilled. And yet there are still people today who do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. 
there are still people today who do not believe that Jesus was even a real person, even though there is so much historical documented evidence that Jesus was a real person, that he came, that he died, and he resurrected. But that's for another day, brothers and sisters. Let's close. Amen. Father, we just love you. And we just thank you for, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that, that, that everything you say, all of your promises are yes and amen. And that includes the promises that you will send the Messiah to save us, to free us from our sin, so that we can have one-on-one, -on -one, close, intimate relationship with you, Lord God. So, Father, I pray that we will never forget that. I pray that we will never take it for granted, Lord. Father, be with all my brothers and sisters on this call, everyone listening later on on the, on the podcast, Father, that to speak to them, Lord God. Show them the areas of their life that they need to submit to you. They need to give to you, Lord God. Show them, Father, that every day is a day to worship you. Every day is a day to thank you for who you are. Because every day is the day that you have made, Lord, that we should rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. All right, brothers and sisters, this was a good one. I'll see you next week. God bless.